if if you're from LA and you play more than double than face for this ticket and the Lakers lose, you have to move back to California. Let's go. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 18th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live, Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling here in Southern Oregon. Bored, a little cold in my garage apartment, but I'm good. I'm happy to have a special guest here. Yes, we do have a special guest. We are joined by Dane Carbaugh. Dane, please introduce yourself. What's going on, fellas? Uh, We'll see. I'm about me. I'm a... People may have noticed me from Blazers Edge, of course, before, before that, or uh, after that, I guess. I worked for Sporting News. Um, I'm originally from Kaiser, Oregon. So uh, me and Eric Gunderson, you know, just, just rep in Salem. <laughs> I got into the Jailblazers when I was a kid, and that was sort of my first experience, or I guess whatever, whatever you're going to call it, pre-Jailblazers, pre-explosion. But So uh, just watching Blazers in the playoffs with my dad, that was pretty much how I got into, really got into professional basketball was my introduction to, you know, the Trailblazers. So obviously a big basketball fan growing up, played at the Hoop in Salem and a bunch of different leagues. And, um, you know, my dad was uh, my coach and uh, we had a pretty strong basketball community down there in Kaiser. And let's see here, my favorite uh, Trailblazers moment was actually, Dustin, you were there with me for it. That's right. We were, we were sitting on Media Road together. For Damian Lillard's shot against Houston to win the series, uh, you're not. There's no cheering on press row except for when Damian Lillard hits the most important shot in Trailblazers franchise history, and then you're screaming and hugging and you know just uh, being weird. So yeah, that's pretty much who I am. And thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. For real, there's no screaming on press row. Yeah, no, you're not. You can't 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 cheer in press row, man. You can't. No. That was the most difficult aspect of my job was sitting there next to Casey for most of the time because we were in section 113 and not like reacting. Like there would be some major plays, but I'm actually thankful that during the playoffs they move some of the um, other media (laughs) up to the section 200s. And there was like, they block out whole sections for all of the national media that comes to cover the playoff games. And I was sandwiched in between Sarah Hecht and Dane. And I was thinking, I was just so down, like Parsons had just made that bucket and I'm thinking we're going to seven, it's going to Houston and we're going to blow a 2-0 lead. All of a sudden Dame hits it. It seemed like that shot floated in air for, for minutes, but it went in and instantly the three of us, we jump up, we embrace. It was one of the best moments of my life. So I can totally agree with Dane on that one. Um, but going back to the Jailblazers a little bit, who was your favorite Jailblazer? I'm assuming it's Sabas. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, at, when I was a kid, it was Brian Grant. Yeah, I met I met Brian Grant the uh, the summer that he had his knee surgery. He was out at uh, McNary Golf Course, and my dad. I was at my mom's house. My dad called me and said, "Hey, like Brian Grant's over there. Like I'm gonna come get you. Let's go meet him. Let's go see him." So first time I ever met a player, he was you know chilling. Re- you know, he was really nice, just hanging out and. It was a it was a big moment for me. I was probably what that's probably ten or something. Or when did he have when did he have surgery? Summer of ninety nine or something. I don't I don't yeah. remember. So uh, yeah, so I'm probably eleven or something. But um, yeah, I'd say Brian Grant was you know the Rasta Monster was my my favorite. I had that. Unfortunately, I had that uh, magazine cover of him getting dunked on by Shaq for a very long time. But yeah, he was he was probably my favorite. Yeah, he still is a fan favorite and the nicest guy. Even when he would come. Because he's a Trailblazers ambassador, so we would see him sure. like we would see the late Jerome Kersey and Bob Gross, and he was just one of the nicest guys to be around. So it's great that even though he spent really a short amount of time in Portland, his, he really cemented his legacy as one of the all-time greats, and that's kind of what the Trailblazers are all about. We find guys, we latch onto them. It doesn't necessarily matter what their stats are. It's more of their personalities and what they leave on the court. But let's get into this week a little bit, Sage. And it was the Jekyll and Hyde Trailblazers as we have come to know and love. I was texting you back and forth during that Sixers game, and I was about as grumpy as you were on the podcast talking about defense last week. Hey, I, I, my mother said that I sounded like a likable jerk on the podcast last week. So I guess it's time for me to chill with the anger a little bit. You, I've never seen you be so pessimistic about this team. It, it, it was, it was amazing. 
I felt so awkward that I just started asking you, who's your favorite musician questions on Twitter? Just so, like, people could see. It, just because our team's getting blasted doesn't mean we can't have fun. You know, I'm so thankful that Aaron Rodgers had those two fourth-quarter Hail Marys and then Larry Fitzgerald took the game over and won it overtime because I completely forgot about that Blazers uh, debacle in an instant, which is very good because it was easily their worst performance of the year. Dane, how do you assess this Trailblazers team at a little bit past the halfway point? We've obviously seen they're capable of beating the NBA's best and getting trounced by 25 by the NBA's worst. Will we see more of this over the course of the, you know, the second half of the season, or are they going to be able to become more consistent? That's tough to say. I think when you look at this past week, I mean, the Blazers, I mean, the, with Lillard back in the lineup, they won five of six, right? And yeah, they happened to lose to Philly, but they look great today as we're recording against Washington. So what do you make of that? I think CJ was asked that question on Zach Lowe's podcast about whether or not long-term he can be a defensive stopper, particularly him and Damien, whether or not they're a good enough to be a defensive, a defensive starting backcourt in this league. And I think that's really something that some of the he pointed out is that he thinks that there's not enough evidence in on them yet. They played something like 30 games together because Damien's set out eight games. And so I think I'm, I think I happen to agree with him. And at this point in the season, I know we also have, you know, draft stuff to talk about maybe at the end of this podcast. Oh it's yeah. A, it's the same thing is that I think this team might be one of the hardest trailblazers teams to forecast for in recent memory because it's not the way that it was Damien's rookie year where you're just sitting around being like, all right, well, Damien's going to you know, play 40 minutes a game and uh, Sasha Pavlovich is going to play 14 minutes a game and uh, you know, Adam Morrison didn't even make a team where it's going to like hang around and watch A.J. Hicks and get his own rebound. You know, it is what it is. Or, and it's not like the last three years where you have, okay, well, what five to, five to eight seed are they going to be in the playoffs? You know, it's, it's so tough to forecast. And Honestly, if we if we think the last six games are anything to look at and show or shake a stick at, maybe they they could be good. I mean, I was talking about sort of embracing the weirdness today on Twitter, and uh, you know, Mike Richmond said the same thing that the weirdest lineups for the Blazers are the ones that work. So, as Terry Stotts figures it out, maybe just sort of embrace the weird, and maybe they sneak into the eighth seed. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're correct, and. To go to your point on on Dame and CJ, they they haven't had enough time to play together for you to make a, a point either way that says yes, they are the backcourt of the future, or no, they simply cannot play together. The sample size is just too small. And to to go off of McCollum, he had a fantastic night, and it was really the first time he's played well since Lillard returned. He goes twenty five points, nine of sixteen from the field and he shoots 60% from three. Yeah. I'm looking right now at um, our man Larry, who has been on the podcast twice. He broke down the numbers prior to this Wizards game mm. that he shot 37 of 117. That's 33% from the floor and just yeah. 11 of 39 from three since Dame has came back from that plantar fasciitis. So that was what was worrying me, is that we had a good six games. Those two weren't really playing all that efficiently together, but today really cemented the fact that when they're on, this team's very difficult to beat. And uh, you know, it was great to see them get off to that hot start. It was really a, a weird game. I just got done watching the recording because I had to work today. Boo! Big time boo! But you know, I was following along with the box score, and I see we're up by 17. All of a sudden, they come back to take the lead to start the third, and then we go on a 20-0 run, and then we don't score. We score two points in the last eight minutes of the game. So. Definitely a very odd game, a very Blazers game. I mean, we talk about being Jekyll and Hyde and tough to forecast. I think we've done this podcast since the beginning of the season, and of all our predictions, I don't think we maybe got it one right where we predicted a week correctly, and it was because we thought they would lose all of those games. So it was just <laughs> a, a difficult team to predict. I completely agree. But what are your thoughts on Myers Leonard? He was really the driving force in that third quarter run. Teams would just blitz Dame and CJ, but if there's an extra shooter out there, it really forces them to play a little bit um, less aggressive on them. Yeah, sure. I, let me make a correction real quick. The Blake Trailblazers won four of the last six, and I meant to say that Damien has been the high scorer five of the last six games he's been back. So in any case, uh, you know, I think that's all related. They're all tied on a string together. Um, with CJ at that, CJ actually almost won. I was uh, doing a segment for my 
little YouTube show and was doing something on, you know, who is the worst shooter in the last uh, seven-day period. And CJ was, you know, he could have made a case that he was the worst shooter outside of Marcus Smart for the seven-day period from Wednesday to Wednesday last week. I mean, he was not good, and that's basically when Lillard was out. Now, with the men, we see the offense clicking together, and Myers is actually, whether people like it or not, is actually kind of an important part of that offense. I know that both Mike Richmond and Eric Gunderson wrote about that earlier in the season this year, about Myers is sort of filling in to stretch the floor in the absence of LaMarcus Aldridge, all those wing shots that are going away. So, I mean, Myers has one of the best weirdo, soft need, I think I'm going to shoot it halfway through the, the shot three-pointers. And in, in this league, it's so strange. So I think with all of them together, and you know, Mike Prada tweeted about this, is that if you try to blitz the Blazers' guards, they're going to get out of it anyways, and the Blazers are going to find their shot anyways. I mean, uh, Alfred Camino is having a, a banner year from three, and that's because of the fact they have those two guards in there. So, I mean, if you can build a – sort of going back to our last sort of section, if you can build a team around – those two guys, if I mean, CJ is a legitimate player in this league. And that's the thing that we needed to figure out in the first half of this season. And that's the thing that I think is the most important thing. So making sure that Myers is doing what he's doing, making sure that, you know, we get the kind of contributions that you can see out of, uh, you know, Ed Davis and Mason Plumley, who had a good game today. You know, those are all things to develop. And it's going to make Neil O'Shea's, you know, decisions at the end of the year really, really tough. So, but I think... I think uh, Myers is doing a good job. That's that's for sure. Yeah, you know, speaking of Olshay, he's definitely not in a very enviable position. He's got Alan Crab up as a restricted free agent. Crab goes fourteen points, six of nine shooting. He continues to fill up the stat line: five rebound or four rebounds, three assists, two steals. He's been playing the passing lanes fantastically as of late, showing he's more than just a spot up shooter. Uh, Myers Leonard, uh, as we've been talking about, is a restricted free agent as well. 18 points on 7 of 10 shooting. And then you mentioned Mason Plumley. In just 23 minutes, he damn near recorded a triple-double. Uh, 10 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists. He's not a restricted free agent, but he's only got really one year left on his rookie deal. And with the cap going up this summer, you know he's going to get paid. Probably more than uh, the Knicks shelled out for Robin Lopez. So he definitely has uh, some decisions to make. And some decisions to make quickly because... You don't want to either let the player walk away for nothing, and you don't also want to get your hands tied behind their backs with a long-term contract. So while a lot of people are probably thinking it might be a quiet deadline, I think it's going to be an interesting deadline for the Trailblazers just because of those looming free agency decisions that he's going to have to make. Can I pose a question to you guys on that then? Of course. Yeah. How do you feel about the salary cap goes up to $108 million in 2017? Now, the Blazers aren't even anywhere close to the salary floor. If you think that Alan Crabb is getting $10 million a year in RFA and Myers Leonard is getting 10 or 11 or something, which I, I'm just sort of pitching it out there, I don't know that, that necessarily messes up their cap situation. I have no problem giving Crabb 10 to 11. I've already kind of accepted internally that that's what he should get and he will get. For one, he uh, I think he plays fantastically as a third guard. He's showing more as the season progresses. He's becoming one of our better wing defenders, and I think that's something we've really discussed on this podcast a lot is the, the need for uh, perimeter defenders. So I've got no problem playing Crab. I was more basing the Myers discussion on that Joel Myers reported, and who knows how, how much factual – uh, at, with accuracy, that is, that, that four-year, $60 million offer that the Blazers reportedly made. I'm just not comfortable giving Myers that type of money because, like you said, he's kind of he's a niche player. He is a great pick-and-pop player, but he doesn't go to the rim. He has a – he has a, to make it – to not sugarcoat it, he has a difficult time playing defense, and he's not the best rebounder given his athleticism. I'm really thankful his shot is coming around because he he really helped us win this game. But I don't know if you pay that much for such a specific need or a niche player. I, sure, I, I'm done with Myers, but I'd love to give Crab that contract because I think it's fair. Uh, I I don't know uh, I don't know if how I feel about uh, Myers getting that much money, but um, I, I'm not super sure that it's going to matter. I think what it really depends on is what Olshay's whole plan is. Not only at the deadline, and not only come free agency, but also whether or not he thinks he's going to make the playoffs. Because if he misses out on that pick, um, I mean, there's not a lot that the Blazers can do with, if it's a, 
you know, late lottery pick. I'm not sure because the best players in this lottery outside of the top three players are all things they already don't have needs for. I mean, they already have. I mean, do you need Jamal Murray? I, I'm not sure that you do, mm. right? If you're for the Portland Trailblazers, so if you're going to be able to fill those spots and you know build for the team that you have, and if you're going to stick with Terry, then Myers Leonard at an inflated cost of what we see today, right now in 2016, but what may not be that difficult to swallow in 2017, 2018, 2019. I don't know. I don't know that it matters, but I think Neil better have a long-term plan put in place, and I'm, I'm sure that he does. Yeah, I completely agree. I believe he has a long-term plan in place. And you're right. It probably wouldn't matter too much if we did end up giving Myers $10 million in Portland, as as we've you know seen in the past, has not attracted big-name free agents when we've had you know cap space in, in prior seasons. So it's not like Neil is going to build the team through free agency I was just a little more concerned because I like Neil in free agency, how he's able to find the Alpha Rucaminos and the Ed Davises. He kind of buys low and gets them at a good value. And I think for a team like the Blazers, that's where that's where we make our money. And it might not happen this this trade deadline or even this offseason, but he's shown in the past when he has cap space, he capitalizes on it. You know, mm. we gave away, you know, just Jeff Withy in a second round pick or cash for Robin Lopez. So he's I trust his judgment when it comes to you know getting a good trade with that cap. So whatever he does is probably the right move. I'm not gonna you know sit here and say that I, I should be the GM or or I know more because you know in nine times out of ten he's he's made the right move so far in Portland, been one of our best GMs. Myers, I just I need to see more consistency from him. So it it comes from more of a, of a personal personal level because I was I was all aboard that Myers wagon. I was drinking the Kool Aid after that Memphis playoff. Um, <laughs> He said Myers is a future all-star on this I podcast. I said if there was one other player other than Lillard, <laughs> I thought it was Leonard. I, I fully admit it. So that's why this season's been a little bit tough to swallow. I want to see more from Myers because he was a beast against the Grizzlies. But again, I think it comes down to position two. He's, he is, in my opinion, more of a center than a power forward. Yeah, I think the way that we look at it and the way you know Stan, I, I believe it was Stan Van Gundy pointed this out when he was railing this last summer about how we see as uh, analysts, how we see players versus um, how coaches and teams see players is, you know, it's not about, oh, you know, money for value and that kind of stuff all the time or not completely. Or that might not be why you sign them to a certain contract. Maybe you think that you're getting shafted by $8 million of the length of a contract, but what they do bring in the position that you're in, that's why you bring them in. And I feel like because there's not probably not going to be when that cap goes up, you know th- that means this summer or sorry this trade deadline there's going to be less and less people to trade for to give, um, you know that available cap space to in terms of a trade for Neil and he doesn't have anything to send anybody his way so uh, so you know offering relief and some sort of bit players I'm not sure what he's going to be able to pull out of the hat so that means that he may have to sort of. Uh, bite the bullet and keep a couple of these developing guys around. And I don't know if I'm being realistic about it. I think Myers probably ends up in that situation, but you know, who knows? So, but happy Ellen Krabs turned out. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And you're, you're, you know, you're correct. His hands are a little bit tied with the deadline because in any other year, the relief we could offer would just, the value of that would be, you know, crazy, crazy, but it's kind of, gone by the wayside so that's why I kind of threw Myers in there I thought he's the most realistic asset that we have that could bring back a decent return because mm. theor- because realistically you're not trading CJ McCollum unless just a slam dunk of a deal comes your way no. and you know while we want Gerald Henderson to have the same perceived value that Aaron Aflalo had at last year's deadline it's just not there and Chris came in his expiring deal really means nothing and from mm all intended purposes, he has a larger value inside the locker room than on the hardwood anyway. So it could be a very quiet deadline for the Blazers. Uh, but moving on from the Wizards, the Blazers did end up winning that game 108 to 98. Um, we're just going to skip past that Sixers game. I mean, they lost 109-89. It wasn't even as close as that score indicated. I really want to touch on the Nets game on Friday. Portland won 116-104. They ended up pulling away late. But what I noticed early on was the best pick-and-roll offense I have seen the Blazers run, probably under Terry Stotts. Lillard had five first-quarter assists. He was splitting the defense. He was either setting up teammates or taking it himself. 
the Nets had zero answers for our pick and roll. Did either of you guys notice that trend over the course of that game? That's tough to say because I did a lot of scouting actually on um, uh, the Spurs the week before, and one of those games that I watched was the Nets. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm with Gunderson on this one who has a no Nets rule, and I actually also have that rule sort of just silent to myself, and he actually voiced it, so I'm right with him. I I don't watch the Nets because, oh my god. Um, I ended up watching the Nets for two games last week. It was it was terrible. They are terrible on defense. They are oh, yeah. off. I mean, the uh, the the um, they were jumping out on a lot of the uh, Spurs pick and roll last week. And so what the Spurs would do is they'd um, sort of run a, a drag screen pick and roll, and then the other uh, big they would have would just run ex- like all the way down to the opposite uh, end line and uh, just go all the way down to the the baseline. And then when the pick and roll man faded he would move up to the high post, the guy who's on the baseline, and then you have your high-low play, a guy just cut into the basket bigs all day long. So, And then obviously what the Trailblazers did was uh, Damian split that pick-and-roll really, really well, which is you know great on for Portland fans. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's really great to see. Do I think the Nets are a part of <laughs> sort of their terrible play? Uh, absolutely. So I'm not sure what to make about that. I think the most important thing is that they're getting more comfortable. I mean, practice against in, in a live game is better than practice against your own players, no matter if it's you're playing the Nets or you're playing the Warriors, right? So getting those reps together, which is what that team, this team needs, is what it needs to get to the playoffs, it's what it needs for Olshay and Stotts to make the decisions they need to make at the end of the season. Um, th- that's all good. So, you know, it, it's a, it was a pro for me watching that game. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Nets, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA for a reason. So they had something to do with the Blazers looking good. Regardless, it was still nice to see the Blazers attacking um, an attacking defense themselves. I've seen too many times the Clippers try to take the ball out of Dame's hands mm-hmm. over and over again. And we finally, you know, have started to embrace that and say, OK, it's coming. Let's figure out how we can do that. They're getting open looks from three. They shot 15 of 35 against the Nets. And again, Alan Crabb was, you know, fantastic. 19 points, five of six from downtown. You know, six boards, two steals. As we mentioned, the passing lanes. I swear he he reads the passing lanes, gets a steal, and, you know, a highlight dunk on the break each of these last four or five games. Ed Davis, I thought, had the play of the game. Brooklyn had really regained momentum and was up six. Lillard goes to the cup. Davis tips it in, gets it down to four, and all of a sudden, the Blazers are in business. We said the X factor in that game was bench scoring. Portland had to be a a plus 15. Portland ended up 47-26. So the bench guys showed up, and they outplayed their their Brooklyn counterparts exactly as they should have. The the start of the game was Lillard, and it continued a four-game stretch that started against the Warriors when he had 40 points and 10 assists. Um, Against the Thunder, he had 31-9 and Uh, he has 21 and 10 against the Jazz, and then he had 33 and 10 against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I'm going to pose this question to both of you: Should he be an All Star, and will he be an All Star in the ultra competitive uh, Western Conference? I think he should. I think it's between him, Anthony Davis, and Boogie Cousins for that last spot. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, the guys playing above him are such a an odd mix, and he's he's so far behind in the voting. Um, I mean, you have. Iguodala, who has you know been a shooting guard his whole career, but he's playing half his time, his minutes at forward. So should it be a forward? Why is Kobe Bryant you know leading the forwards category? Why is Kobe Bryant at all? Um, it's tough. I mean, Rondo is having you know a very Rondo-ish year, even if his turnovers are sort of not that great per 100 possessions. Uh, I mean, but this is also a, a voting contest that has Zaza getting more votes than Dwight when Dwight is having a monster <laughs> contract year. I mean, monster contract year. So it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So. I think you're right, Dylan. It's going to be he's going to have to make that last spot. Should he be an All Star? Um, when I think about the All Star game and how I sort of attack it as uh, you know an, an analyst after all these years, it's a really what, what it's about is good for the league. That's why Kobe's there, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they have you know people uh, coaches to vote people in. Damien is good for the league. That's that's he's good for Portland. He's good for the league. So should he be there? It's in the it's in the NBA's best interest to have him in there. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to the wire as well. If Kobe didn't get that fan vote, I would say probably eighty percent certainty that he's going to get in. You know, we're looking at the Trailblazers; they're only really a half game out of eighth. If by the time 
the the coaches vote, which I believe is maybe not this Monday, but next Monday or any time in between, Portland could be in the eighth seed. And despite how awful the Western Conference is, I bet if you would have pulled 30 coaches and 30 GMs, not many would have had the Trailblazers even sniffing the playoffs, you know, right now. And he's obviously a huge reason why, you know, you mentioned AD and, and Boogie Cousins. Both players, you know, are fantastic and it, it, it's tough. It's, you're, it's not like there's one right answer. You know, as much as I want to say Lillard is, hands, you know, cut above everybody, that's obviously, you know, the, the, the Rose City glasses. All three of those players are fantastic. And just like every year, some player is going to get, you know, left off. And I'm sure there will be an injury or two like there always is. And if that happens, Dame's always going to be, you know, first or second on on the list. But what I really loved about Lillard, I, I think Casey Holdall had a piece about it, and he said, you know, he won't have the same reaction that he did last year, mm. where he kind of, um, you know, always did like the, the more wood hashtag on Twitter, you know, always building that chip on his shoulder. He feels like he's already validated as an NBA superstar, and you know, he is. He doesn't need to to prove to anybody else or to himself. So. That's probably for the best. I think he put too much pressure on himself last year after not making the the all-star team the first two times around, and uh, it kind of bit him in the ass. So I'm glad he's taking this approach and just kind of worrying about the team. Dame talked about Dame being good for the league, and did you guys get the chance to see his uh, rap song? I did. Yeah. I think that it was the best timing to do that type of song. I actually, and I'm a hip-hop snob for real, I actually enjoyed that song. I was hoping John Connor would do something extremely similar to that song. So I want to give props to Damian Lillard uh, for doing that song at that time. It was, it was fantastic. Are you two going to buy his album when it comes out? You know, I'm, I, I might, you know, I already, I already buy the kick. So what's an album, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. I definitely am. I think, uh, I saw that video today and it really had a big impact on me mm-hmm. to have somebody in this league, who, uh, you know, a guy who's signing $100 million shoe contracts in this league, putting out something that we as, you know, sub 30 year old adults, millennials in this country as basketball fans, um, to have him sort of on that side and speaking as that voice and using his, um, his pulpit for good and something that's grounded. You know, a lot of times we feel like athletes aren't grounded and whether he's 100% grounded or not, who knows. But in this instance, he's, using his passion for music for good and something that has a meaningful impact on people outside of basketball. And I, I was really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. And Sage, you mentioned it was the perfect time. I mean, MLK day, can you, you're right. Kudos to Dame and whoever is his agency, because whether it's his shoes, the timing of his, of his records, he is more marketable than he really should be in Portland, Oregon. If we're being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's. I mean, he's a he he's a he's a Goodwin guy, and Goodwin is real really good at what they do, and they've done a great job with his career so far. And um, yeah, I was I was really impressed with that video. I'm waiting for him to come onto the show so I can cipher with him, man. <laughs> <laughs> when when Dustin said Dame's coming on, I thought it was Dame for a second, so I started oh, man. Writing, I started writing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a letdown. I know. Get your hopes up, Sage. Like the great master Ace said. Save your best written shit and school them like daycare. So I, I was just writing. <laughs> one day, Sage. One day. One, one yeah, day. yeah, exactly. I'm hoping this. I'm hoping he can hear this. So yeah. We, so we can get that cipher going. Back to back. <laughs> so to recap, to put a put a bow on it, the Blazers go three and one. They handle the Jazz ninety nine eighty five last Wednesday. They are. 19 and 25. The Jazz, they just lost a double overtime classic to the Hornets where Kemba scores 50. Got so biz. So that loss in Philly really doesn't ever happen if we're going by the standings. They're still only a half game back. Portland has the 2 1 season lead. You know, we said, Sage, last podcast going through this 11 game stretch where they're only facing two teams above 500, they have to go 8 and 3. And if I'm looking at the, the schedule, Right now, they've went, they're 3-1, and one, so they're on pace. They start a seven-game homestand. I think I hopped on that playoff wagon, just kind of embracing it a couple podcasts ago, and I still, even though I was super grumpy during that Philadelphia game, the win against Washington shows they really like 
put their focus back onto winning. They knew they messed up and didn't take the Sixers seriously. The Jazz are without favor still. Obviously, Exum losing him hurts for their the season. Their defense is awful now. They're, even with Gobert, it's just it's not the same Jazz as it was during the second half of the last season. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pelicans, yeah, they're surging a little bit, but if the Blazers... Don't say that. We're awful. <laughs> but if the Blazers can surge at the right time and get these, you know, what, 5-2 and two on this seven-game homestand, you've got to like their chances. I mean, are you going to join me, Sage? Are the Blazers going to make the playoffs? I, I, want, I want a draft pick, man. It's not what you want. It's what do you think. I want the draft pick, so I'm, I'm still hard on this tank wagon. I want the draft pick. I want the extra assets. So if they make the playoffs, I'll be happy, but I want so, that extra exit. But you still, what do you think, though? Do you think they're going to probably make the playoffs and disappoint me? Well, okay. Well, that's life of a Blazer fan. Get used to it, my friend. I, I kind of had high expectations about my other team, so disappointment's pretty, pretty evident this year. All right, what say you, Dane? I think here, here's what I've thought all season long: is that uh, it, it makes sense. The team has too much talent, especially with CJ showing up in the first. I mean, really showing up in the first twenty games of the year and being, uh, you know, making his mark and saying that he's a real NBA player. Um, Considering his you know usage went up and all of his uh, per 100 stats also went up, which is insane. Um, but the thing about that is when Western Conference teams need to win games, real playoff teams, Clippers, Memphis, Spurs, come February, you know March, there thereabouts, this team is going to lose some games. Now, when now road wins. Sure, having having the roadwinds they've got, you know, right now in January is great and it's really promising. But do I think they're good enough to? I mean, the Jazz look. I've seen the Jazz play, you know, outside of playing the Blazers. They are not confidence inspiring either. Mm. So oh. uh, they, they uh, Gordon Hayward has had a down year. So I mean, they're in the same position, right? Like if they if Gordon Hayward, you know, picks himself up maybe they're back into a position where they can fend off the Blazers, you know. But I think that as I see the trend and where they already have sort of the hole they've already sort of dug themselves into, even though they're right there at, at the eighth seed, I think they probably lose out as they rack up, you know, losses come the end of the season. But, um, you know, I'm I'm less of a positive type homer and more of a uh, sad national analyst. So I think I think they get there. I think they end up at nine. I think they end up nine, but not by much. Yeah, I'm still going playoffs, and it's just because Lillard and McCollum are better than anybody else fighting for the playoffs. I mean, that, that's, that's, just, that's very true. That's very true. In the West, it's just not it's not our our West of the past. It's really the East. Uh, yeah. There's no team that you're just like, oh man, if they could only turn it on. Well, really, what are the Jazz or the the, the Kings? There's just there's no fear in those teams doing anything. Uh, the Pelicans, if they could ever get their, their act together, but Whoa. they're starting to fall a little bit far behind. I don't know. I just This team really wants the playoffs. Um, Joe Freeman put together an article talking about tanking or winning, asking the players that. And like we've said all along, the players don't care about a lottery pick. A lottery pick is just somebody that's going to take your roster spot. So obviously mm-hmm. they want to win. Uh, that's why they play the game. They're athletes. They're ultra competitive. And... I think we have the best roster of any team trying to compete for that last spot. And whether it's good or bad for the franchise long term, I think they're going to make it. This is like the first podcast in a while that per 36, per 100 possessions have been dropped. I dropped them in the early part and then it just got too (laughs) nerdy. So I was like, I don't want them to know how nerdy I am yet. So it's, it's fantastic to hear those stats being dropped and it's not from my mouth. So... Dane, thank you so much. So <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you get an old school basketball Twitter head on here, you know, <laughs> just dropping all this. If I can, if I can mention something is, as we're talking about a push for the playoffs, and I, no- I noticed that uh, we've talked a lot about Alan Crabb on this podcast. Something I pulled up while we were talking is uh, the average um, draft measurements by each year by our boys over uh, at Nylon Calculus, which is a great NBA math site if you want to get really – Really, really sleepy when you're trying to think about basketball. Um, <laughs> but the average wingspan for a shooting guard in the NBA draft last year was uh, six foot eight. The 90th percentile was six eleven. 
the average height was six foot five. Alan Crabb is six foot six and has a six eleven wingspan. That means his arms are gigantic, which is just I mean, we never talk about that. I mean, it's all anyone ever ever say about Nick Batum before he was any good on offense, right? It's like, oh, his his arms are long, his arms are long. But Alan Crabb has defensive instincts and his arms are freakishly long. So I thought that was that was worth mentioning. But No, that's a great point to bring up because now that you've mentioned that, you you start thinking Alan Crabb used to be like a nineteen nineties normal shooting guard, like mm-hmm. Drexler, Jordan. Kobe, they were built like that. Maybe not as big as a Drexler, but you know, height and length. And now we started to see the more of the the shorter two guards, like the Wades and the McCollum's, um, James Harden's even a little bit on the smaller side. So Crab is now um, you know an abnormal shooting guard, which plays in our favor because you know you get those big guards, and heaven forbid if he could ever discover a back to the basket game, just one or two moves, maybe like a Steve Smith. Um, that would take his game to a whole other level. That's worth a few millions right there. So hopefully in the offseason he can add a little bit more to his, you know, offensive repertoire. And that would, you know, that that's like adding a draft pick in itself. If you can get that type of player development. And that's what Neil Olshay said on uh, Woj's podcast this week is, mm. you know, they're really big on player development. That's where mm-hmm. they see the team go. Obviously you look at Will Barton who, you know, had to get moved for the follow deal, but He's now playing like a six-man-of-the-year type of player, and Olshay found him in the second round. So not only does he have a good drafting eye, this team develops their players you know, very well. So just because if they make the playoffs, it's not going to be, oh, my God, we're stuck here for the next five to six years. Yeah. And I think the good thing about Alan Crabb, too, is that you know, he's shown the propensity to be able to take on Paul George, but also... Wes Matthews and also JJ Redick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he plays above his height and above his weight class by his positioning and sort of his instincts. But when it comes down to it, I think you're right. I mean, when we talk about oh the 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 you know prototype shooting guard, it's like who is he guarding? Who's a prototype shooting guard in 2016 NBA other than Clay Thompson, who's mm-hmm. six seven and shoots from thirty feet away? I mean. And then you get Wes Matthews, JJ Redick. I mean, you have all these guys that are, they're not that big. So do you have to be that tall to guard them? I don't think so. And Alan Crabb is doing a very good job. So pretty excited about that. So as we've mentioned, the Blazers start a seven-game homestand, only two games on the docket this week. They have uh, a nationally televised game on ESPN Wednesday against the Atlanta Hawks at 7.30 and they have a game on Saturday, another 7.30 start against the rival Los Angeles Lakers. Let's get into this Hawks game. This starts a four-game road trip for, for Atlanta. Um, the last meeting, you know, throw that in the trash. It doesn't really count. Uh, the Hawks won 106-97 to 97 on December 21st back at Phillips Arena. But if you both remember correctly, that was the game where uh, Damian and CJ both sat out, which is the only time that's occurred all season long. And we could have played probably against um, an AAU team from Beaverton and probably lost that game without <laughs> Dame and CJ. Uh, but kudos to my man Sage. He was the one who called Dennis Schroeder as his X factor. He had 18 off the bench. Um, what are you looking for this time around, Sage? I think that Al Horford and Paul Millsap play way too perimeter-oriented this uh, this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of missed jumpers from those bigs. And if we can get the rebound, outlet it, and get into transitions for some easy buckets, I think that's going to be a big thing this, this game. What do you think, Dane? Uh, I think the thing that I'm looking for is um, having seen Myers sort of... Um, get confident this last week mm. is push him towards the arc either on uh, initial pick and rolls or as the, uh, the the guy coming from the weak side and then act as a, a pivot point for a pass. That's that's what I'm looking for from Myers. He offers that. He can pull Horford away from the basket and you can run either cutters like CJ and Alan Crabb through or you can get, run high-low with uh, you know him and Mace or him and uh, Vonley. That, that's sort of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that, that uh second rotation sort of uh, passing ability and cutting. Just bending that defense a little bit more, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is definitely a game that will be, you know, strength versus versus strength. Which one will win out? Um, Sage, you mentioned Horford and Millsap are shooting a little bit more perimeter, uh, being more perimeter-oriented than you would like. 
but the Hawks still average 45 points per game in the paint, which is fourth best. And the Blazers, um, they allow only 39 points per game in the paint, that's, which is fourth best as well on the defensive side of things. So can Portland stop them from scoring in the paint? We've seen Okafor for the 76ers. He had 25 points on 12 of 16 shooting. Gortat during that second quarter uh, just blitz that the, the Wizards put on Portland where they scored 40 points. They shot 17 of 21 from the just in the second quarter alone. You know, Gortat had sh- shot 7 of 10 himself. He got everything in the paint. Can the Blazers keep them out of the paint and, you know, not all, with, without leaving their shooters like Korver open? I think that's going to be a big deal. And I think if Portland could get their three-point shot going, you know, the Blazers get over 30% of their offense from the three-point line. That's the second most of any team um, not named the Golden State Warriors. And they shoot 38% from three at home. And the Hawks, they allow 36. So can Portland get that three-point shot going? We saw during this, this uh, three-game road trip, when they, get the, when they get it going from downtown, they're clicking. They couldn't throw it in the ocean against the 76ers. It completely messed with their defense. While it shouldn't, it does. Um, offense affects their defense, especially for you know one of the youngest teams in the league. So I think if they can get the, the three-point shot, They'll be in good shape. Um, I'm not too confident about this one, though. Al Horford is my X factor, and I, I just worry that the Blazer bigs are, are going to have a tough time because Teague and Schroeder are both you know, speed demons and will give our guards trouble. So if they're able to penetrate and then force Plumlee and Davis to come over, that's just going to leave the paint wide open. Uh, how do you see this one uh, turning out, Sage? I am going with the hop uh, in a win. Um, you know what? I have a man crush on... Kent Bazemore, so I'm going to say he's the X Factor. Yeah, so what do you think, Dane? Uh, that's tough. You know, the Hawks have been a good road team in terms of Eastern Conference teams, so that's tough. But, you know, the Blazers have sort of, they've really clamped down. You know, they're the third in the NBA in uh, points allowed in the paint at home. So, you know, what sort of a weakness for them on the road, maybe they can sort of handle that, and they're sort of riding high, coming off a big win from Washington. Um, you know, and just like Atlanta, they have a couple days to sort of prepare for this. So, um, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's a Blazers win at home. Yeah, I'm, it's a, a coin flip for me, but I'm feeling good. We just beat the Wizards. Why not? Let's go Blazers win. Uh, the Hawks had their way with us last year at home. It was one of the best offensive performances I've seen from an opposing team. I know it's a completely different cast of characters in the home whites, but... Their coach is still the same, but like Dane said, this team is very, you know, momentum-based. They got that good win against the the Wizards. I don't think they want to have another letdown like they did against the Sixers. I think the home crowd's going to be pretty jazzed, especially for it being an ESPN game. I think Blazers win a tight one. And then the big game of the weekend, Blazers-Lakers. <laughs> the Bryant. big game. The big game. <laughs> this game has been sold out. Since he announced his retirement, tickets have gone through the roof. You know, bless your heart if you're spending a, a ton of money on this game because I wouldn't to see this Lakers team. The only reason it's a big game is because it, it's Kobe's last game in Portland. Maybe. He might not for even that, play. That's true. If he doesn't play, I feel really bad for all those Woo! fans. Yes. I don't. <laughs> I mean, spend your money how you want, but I don't. If they're Laker fans, I don't feel bad. But if, if you or a Blazer fan like me and who just loves seeing Blazer-Laker basketball, that's got to be a, a kick in the you-know-where if uh, you pay all that money and he doesn't play. Yeah, my, fr- my friend a couple weeks ago who has uh, tickets in the 300 level said that his, uh, his single-season single ticket was already something like $300. That was wow. three or four weeks ago. So, Did he sell it? Uh, he was considering it. I haven't asked him if he sold it or not. So he, I mean, he might as well. I mean, Yeah, I mean... I got. It, it, he said he said it would pay for half of his season ticket. Jesus, and it's not like it's regular Blazers Lakers where it's you know the Lakers are either on the top and Portland's trying to catch them or Portland's you know even with them the Lakers are just trash. Right. So trash. if you just want to see a, a the Blazers beat up on a bad basketball team, sure you could pay that money, or you could just wait one extra day and see them play the Kings on on Tuesday, or wait a couple extra days and see the you know the Kings. How about uh, this? If if you're from LA. And you play more than double than face for this ticket, and the Lakers lose, you have to move back to California. How's that? Uh, 
I mean, yeah. If does it lower, you know, house housing? I mean, if, yeah. if that, it's it's an economic strategy. I just I just enacted actually for the city of Portland. I, I I would sign that bill and I would send it down to Salem for it to get passed <laughs> um, right now. That would be amazing. <laughs> So the Blazers uh, and the Lakers, they have played twice already this season, both Blazer victories in November. On the 22nd in Los Angeles, Portland wins 107-93. Uh, it was really the Damon CJ show. They combined for 49 points. Um, just six days later up in Portland, the Blazers win again. Lillard, Lillard had 29, McCollum at 28. Uh, I looked it up. Dame is a huge thorn in the Lakers side. Uh, only He only averages more points per game against the Spurs, and it's by like a very uh, minuscule amount. He puts up 26 against the Lakers, so this is the second most. Um, eight assists, four boards, shoots 40% from three. Uh, I think he is going to relish going up against Kobe for the final time. I don't think there – I think there could actually be some sort of – you know, I'm playing against Kobe for the last time for other players on the roster because, you know, they grew up watching this guy. But I think Dame's going to set the tone early, and I think he's going to have uh, a monster night, similar to what we saw over the last homestand. I'm still yeah. flabbergasted about how much people are paying for this game. I, I, I think that I don't even know who's healthy for the Lakers. There's so many injuries because uh, Larry Nance Jr., who was starting, is now hurt. Randall's playing more. I, this team sucks. Um, Blazers are going to win. <laughs> Great analysis, Sage. Thank like, you. That's why I am the best mixed ethnicity podcaster who talks about the Blazers. Yeah, that's that's tough because, I mean, <laughs> what else is there to say? People say so much about the Lakers and they don't matter anyways. So at least not from a on-court perspective of you know what's going to happen in the league. Uh, but Kobe is playing. This is a second. Uh, the Lakers play the Spurs the night before they play the Blazers, and this is the so it's the second game after. Um, but Kobe's playing. You know the second games of back to backs this season. So will we see them? I mean, I guess, but I, I don't think there's any way uh, the Lakers win. I mean, we've seen the Lakers come in in years where they're not that great and sort of turn it on. Uh, back when it was the Rose Garden, but I, I just don't see. Anyway, I mean, yeah, uh, Damian is a he's he's a pain in the Lakers' shin. You know what I mean? Uh, hmm. uh, he's 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 definitely he's definitely gonna. I that think, was a good um, reference. Take it. So, I'm actually relieved I'm not going to this game simply because I know Kobe's gonna get cheered. There's gonna be so many Laker fanboys that it's it's gonna drive me crazy. Um, he had chants in Boston. It's inevitable. He's gonna get chanted in Portland. Correct. Yeah. Duh. Yes. Uh, I just, you know, I shudder thinking about that. So, we all three have uh, Blazer victories in that game. Yep. Yes, sir. All right. So that wraps up the week. We, um, me and Dane, both have two and zero. Uh, Grumpy Gus Sage, Pro Tank, <laughs> Mayor of Southern Oregon, <laughs> has us going one and one. So let's move on. I believe we have uh, just one fan question. I sent this out. Uh, Pretty late. I was re- ran home from work, flipped on the Blazer game, tried to take notes uh, for the upcoming opponents, but we did get a question. How many pairs of the Lillard 2s are you going to get? They do drop uh, this Friday, the home colorway. I'm going to let Dan handle that one first. I mean, you know I'm a sneakerhead, so I think with that colorway, I'm probably going to take two right off the rack just to start. Just because I think that's a really hot colorway. They did an incredible job with it. I mean, it almost has that Adidas original feel. It has that, uh, you know, real fake leather that you see on Jordans, that sort of weird uh, suede stuff at the corner, lots of different materials. Uh, Nightwing, if you guys aren't familiar with who that is, he's a uh, shoe reviewer for weartesters.com, sort of a top shoe reviewer. He said it was, uh, uh, obviously, that shoe came out, uh, was, there was a pre release. He reviewed it. It would have made his list. He said it would have been his the number one shoe of 2015. He loved it that much. So um, really happy they put the bounce uh, cushioning in it, which is that high rubber content foam in it. Um, so I'm really excited for that shoe. I'm going to get one to play in. I'm going to get one to uh, wear around. I'll probably get a third one to, uh, you know, as a sneakerhead, keep shiny in my closet and never see the light of day. I mean, I'm right with you. I got actually a pair on the 26th. I was thinking about how I could get one, and I was like, I know Adidas.com and all those websites, they're going to be sold out. Thankfully, I was in you know, the thriving metropolis of Albany, Oregon, and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Word. All right. 
Hugtown. I was like, there, exactly. There is no way that anybody is going to show up to that Foot Locker yeah. at 9 a.m. the day after Christmas. So me and Olga, you know, we go to the mall. First person to get my shoes. Nobody was there. It was fantastic. I really love the the gum sole, uh, mm. the red and black, you know, plates on the back. It just uh, very has a very vintage feel. So I definitely ordered another pair. Um, like you, I'm going to keep it keep it in the box. Hopefully, Dame has a signing somewhere, and I can get it signed and then you know displayed. But I got one for hooping, one to wear, and I actually really like the the Northern Lights colorway that has been. Uh, previewed but not released yet are there any other colorways that you're hoping will will make the cut dane uh i mean i really did like uh, the one that he uh wore today as we are recording um the jesse owens one i mean that white and gold is pretty cool i probably won't pick it up just because it'll be too similar in terms of looking just like the rip city one um the is it year of the horse or whatever really so Monkey? Okay, yeah, monkey. Uh, uh, but that's like the black and blue with a little bit of gold on it, I think. That one's pretty cool. I think, I mean, we haven't seen that many colorways come out. I probably won't buy the uh, the Away colorway just because, I mean, it's all it's mostly black. It doesn't have an, enough sort of visually going on for me to pick up. But I think I will. Uh, I'm hoping, I have a lot of hope for them. You know, the the, the D-Lord one came out in a lot of colorways that were very team shoe oriented. You know, really basic blue, a couple different blacks, a white, or sorry, two whites, right? Um, mm-hmm. This one, I hope they, th- that first, that, that first home colorway is so interesting. I hope they do a lot of more uh, sort of, I don't know, interesting materials, stuff like that on it. So high hopes. Yeah, like the, the Lillard one, it took a while, but then they started really cranking out the, the colorways. They had the PDX carpet, they had the lumberjack, I think they had the, the summer orange. Right. Uh, he, so he did a, he had the Raiders one as well. So I'm hoping that they do a ton of different, you know, look and feels because uh, I, I li- as much as I like the Lord ones, I think these are probably a couple times better. Yeah. All right, I'll, you guys convinced me I'll cop one. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't gonna, but you guys are a fantastic salesman. I might get that uh, year of the monkey. Shout out to my Chinese mother. Uh, yeah. I, so they, you know, stay true to your roots, Sage. Yeah. I mean. How big are your feet, Dane? Are are you? Because uh, I got size fourteens, man. It I, it's it's tough to look fly with big, super big feet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's tough because that's also super hard hard to find sometimes. Oh but, uh, yeah. I've I see the good thing about Adidas or what you want to think it's good or not is sometimes they don't fit quite right. So like I'm a true I would say I'm a true eleven. Damn, sometimes you're I, lucky. Sometimes I size up to eleven and a half, but in Adidas sometimes I wear tens. Mm-hmm. I mean the the Lillard the Lillard one is I wear I'm like a ten and a half and it's still a little bit roomy, so um, yeah I don't know maybe maybe they'll uh, fit big and you can squeeze into a twelve and a half. You know? I think the the Lillard twos are pretty much the same. Um, I got a I have a true ten and I got a ten in the ones and those are a little big so I got a nine and a half for the twos and those fit perfect so. So I'll be a size thirteen still not looking so hot but word. <laughs> Hey, yeah, yeah. you got. Hey, if you're a big dude, you gotta you gotta work it. So, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cop a size 13 Dame Lillard shoe. You guys convinced me. Larry just I am me saying have a good show. So, shout out to well, you, Larry. All right, so we're we're almost about wrapped up. Uh, I do want uh, you to touch a little bit on the draft prospects, Dane. We shouted you out a few episodes ago about how great those breakdown videos you've been creating. I watched the one on Jalen Brown. It's it's so difficult to make time to watch you know every Blazers game and then whichever college game is on, especially because college basketball to me is a little bit harder on the eyes um, for multiple reasons. <laughs> But the breakdown videos show the good and the bad and really gives you an overall feeling of what this prospect could look like. So maybe not necessarily for the Trailblazers, but outside of Ben Simmons, who are some of the prospects that we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, you mean for Trailblazers specifically or just people that one of the people should be uh, aware of? I think just for the NBA. like who, Who's going to come into this draft that people need to know about? I mean, Jalen Brown is the player that is people are talking about as having. He has all the physical tools already, but he, he's having a real tough time to the first uh, third of the season at California. Um, but I saw him play in high school. He's definitely a player to watch. He's he's just got some. Um, he's got he's more of a 
a long-term prospect, I think, even though, which is so strange because he's, he's in an NBA body right now. People say that all the time. He really is. He's, he looks like a, he's a, he's a freak, but, uh, Jamal Murray is my favorite player. That's my too. Down. I, I saw him play at, at Hoop Summit. He lit dudes up. I mean, and he is an incredible three-point shooter. He's a true, um, he could really play, especially in today's NBA, where he's only six foot four, but he can play both guard, uh, both guard positions. I mean, he's playing all the way through, sometimes I think he plays four for Kentucky. But maybe not, maybe not. Maybe, maybe he only plays down to the wing position. But still, he's playing all three positions for Kentucky because they already loaded, they already have, you know, a starting backcourt with guys that are six feet tall and he has to find the court somehow. Um, those are my two um, big guys that I really like. Um, I'm also uh, a fan of uh, um, people want to say Demontis Sabonis is, is good. He's having a really good year, but I think I like him outside of the fact that I don't think he'd be a good fit for the Trailblazers because a lot of his uh, his talents are already well developed by players already on the Trailblazers roster. Um, simply because he's a, a tall player who can um, pass and rebound and score a little bit, but he can't really shoot. So you don't really need more of that on this team at that position. So, but uh, yeah, those are the three guys I really like outside of uh, Ben Simmons, who is um, one of the most interesting number one overall prospects in a very long time. And so you mentioned Sabonis, and Blazer fans' ears probably perk up and say, I want that guy just because of his father. Yes, he is having a great year for Gonzaga, but doesn't he suffer from, what do they call it, T-Rex syndrome, where his, he just doesn't have a good wingspan? Uh, you know, I don't know about that. I haven't actually uh, looked up to see how long his arms are. I think, you know, we can get sucked into that one way or the other, right? Like you mm-hmm. have uh, R- Rudy Gobert who, you know, if you remember before that draft, everyone was losing their minds about mm-hmm. this guy's going to come out of nowhere and he's going to be a top 12 pick and yada, yada, yada. And then nothing happened and he was, was late, late 20s, right? And then two years later, he's this defensive stopper. So it did turn out, but the draft didn't turn out the way people were saying. And a lot of that was probably just um, agents and GMs uh, puffing things up and trying to sort of position themselves. Now, we see that the other way around with, that's something we haven't, Alan Crabb, like we talked about earlier, that's something that was never really mentioned by Alan Crabb, but he has a ridiculous, say, wingspan that, okay, well, that's, that's a great thing that he's using in addition to the fact that he has that skill set, that eye for the ball that you're talking about, Dustin, knowing how to play those passing lanes. If you have long arms, it doesn't matter. I and mean, you can be Hashim to beat and be seven foot two and you know have all this power in your legs and be bad at basketball. Mm-hmm. So it's about having the, the, the those skill sets and being able to also uh, use them with your uh, instincts, whether uh, learned for some players or natural uh, for others. So. So I'm a Pelicans fan as well as a Blazers fan. And I'm sorry. I, oh, dude. <laughs> it, it, it's been a rough. It's been rough. But I think that Jamal Murray could be the perfect pairing yes. through Holiday. Absolutely. Boom. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, 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 you're right on the money with that one. I think um, it's, it's been a disappointing season for New Orleans because obviously bringing in um, Gentry. Uh, G- Gentry and getting rid of uh, Monty. Monty, thank you. Jeez. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been a little disappointing in terms of the offensive development there, but I think you also have a, you have a roster that, I mean, has anybody been sold on Ben Gordon for the last five years? I mean, I, I don't know anybody who talks about that guy wh- who watches the NBA. Who thinks Eric that he, or Ben? What did I say? Oh, Ben, ben Gordon? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of old. Jeez. He's kind of, yeah. Nobody's, nobody's believed in Ben Gordon for five years, so I'm still correct on that point. <laughs> yeah. no, hey, uh, hey, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Eric Gordon. You know, it's just uh, they need to do something else in terms of uh, their wing play because Tyreek Evans is a great uh, tweener wing that creates off the dribble, has you know really good at passing, great rebounder. But you need somebody who can shoot. I mean, and Luke Babbitt ain't cutting it for you, and uh, Ryan Eric, Anderson. Uh, Ryan Anderson can't take every three pointer. You okay. know, I mean, don't disrespect Ryan Anderson. We but might you know, actually- you can't can't take every three pointer, and I, I'm I'm with Zach Lowe on that one. I I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna pay Ryan Anderson what he's gonna get. I don't want to pay what he's gonna get paid this summer. So, uh, you know, Jamal Murray would be the perfect guard for them. That's great. Well, I think Murray will be there for you wherever you pick, Sage. So no, no worries there, my friend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, New Orleans might end up with the opposite problem, where they end up with a, a higher pick, and maybe they're not, you know, uh, the. Um, the intelligentsia says not to take um, Jamal Murray that high. Mm-hmm. So you might, you might, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully we win some games, God. Uh, go Blazers. Actually, you know what? 
I want the Blazers to win some games just so I can root for some wins this year. It's, it's a cold winter. I had high expectations for the Saints, the Pelicans, and you know what? Blazers are the team that's actually doing something this year. They're actually surpassing the expectations. Um, you know, we've had uh, a little over an hour, so I think it's about time to Shortest wrap. podcast ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you again, Dane, for joining us. Uh, let our fans know where they can find you at on Twitter and all of your videos and your write-ups. Where, where can we find that at? Hey, yeah, I appreciate having me on, you guys. Uh, you guys, your followers can uh, find me on Twitter at, at Dane Carbaugh, D-A-N-E-C-A-R-B-A-U-G-H. Uh, I write for uh, Flow Hoops. I do lots of breakdown stuff there. I even got into some uh, women's college basketball, some uh, WNBA draft preview stuff, but also do um, regular NCAA stuff and NBA stuff there. And uh, I am at HP Basketball doing uh, video breakdowns in my own YouTube show called Baseline Rewind, which is sort of this uh, weekly rundown plus playbook breakdowns and uh, – yeah, so it's a lot of fun. All right, Rip City. Make sure you check Dane out. You can also check this podcast out on SoundCloud and on Stitcher at Holy Backboard PDX. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And as always, we're on Twitter at Holy Backboard. It's been a great episode. Thanks again, Dane, for joining us. We'd love to have you back. Thanks again to Sage for holding it down in Southern Oregon. I'm Dustin. Let's go, Blazers. Let's go 2-0 this week. Let's-